Lights, camera, action. Okay. John Turturro. Uh, welcome, and thank you for coming today. Thank you for uh, asking me. Yes. Um, I want to talk a little bit about uh, your early life, and because I don't know very much about your life in, in, in Queens and your, your family, and I know that you have uh, significant Italian roots, um, and your dad was born there but moved oh. here when he was six years old, mm -hmm. and you still have some family over there and mm -hmm. all of that, and you have, a real, you have an Italian passport, mm -hmm. you have a real connection to Italy, and that's right. a big part of your life. Uh, yeah, my mother's, uh, was, uh, uh, Sicilian. Our parents immigrated here and they, I think they got married here. They were from Aragona and Palermo. My father's family is from Giovanazzo in Puglia, near Bari. Um, his father w came to America, I think when he was 15, he went back and forth a bunch of times. It lived in Mount Vernon, lived in the Lower East Side. And uh, then he fought in World War One for the Italian Navy, but he established a residency, uh, and then he went back. I think his after his second time, he went back and he got married to my grandmother. And when she was pregnant, uh, then he came uh, back to America because uh, my father was born in twenty five. Uh, in yeah. Italy, though, right? Yeah, yeah. It, 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 they got pregnant in, in Giovanazzo, and but then my grandfather Raphael came back to America, and uh, that was when they had passed all the uh, the the immigration laws in 1924, where they closed the doors door, the doors to uh, Italians, uh, Jews, Poles, or a lot of Eastern Europeans, uh, basically. Uh, they had these Dragonian laws, and that it took my father and grandmother, I think, six years. He, he never, he had never met his father until he came to uh, the United States uh, in 1931. Your dad, because uh, your dad was I, six years old, right? Yeah, but he, so his father left when my grandmother was pregnant with him, and then there were all these laws because the immigration from, you know, from Russian uh, 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 with all the Jewish population and from Southern Italians was huge, and. Uh, there was a lot of, uh, you know, people just said, well, there's too many of these people. First, there were the Chinese laws in 1882, and then they, they passed these laws in, in 24. And basically, they shut it down. They shut it down completely. Like one year, there was like 204, uh, 204, uh, 200,000, Italians. The next year, it was like 4,000. Wow. Yeah. So, you know, because there were millions of people who were coming, and the country was, especially in the cities, it was, they, all these people spoke different languages. If, I mean, when you were Irish when you came here, you were looked down upon, but you spoke the same language or a similar language. And, you know, the, the Jews didn't, and the Italians didn't, and the Poles didn't. And uh, uh, so it was, uh, Greeks didn't. Uh, Anyway, so my father came here, and uh, and then he wound up uh, interesting enough, you know, because he knew all those fascist songs. Because Mussolini was the, the the premier or the president or the leader of the country, but my father wound up fighting for the United States in uh, World War II, and he was in D-Day and saw a lot of action. He was in the Navy, and uh, so my connection to Italy is through. Sicily and Puglia, which is southern, but they're very different. 
very different regions. And, uh, you know, it was through music and, uh, you know, family. Uh, didn't really see a lot of Italian films growing up. Not when I was younger, when I was small. And it really wasn't until I saw, like, uh, like Dustin Hoffman, like, even, uh, he's Jewish, of course, but uh, in, the Gre- in uh, Midnight Cowboy, like, clips of him. I, I couldn't see Midnight Cowboy when I was too young. And I was like, wow, you know, that guy looks like someone from our family or something. And so then I saw Al Pacino and De Niro, and we saw The Godfather. That was a huge thing for a lot of uh, Italian-Americans because I don't think we had ever seen uh, ourselves represented. Even though it was in a mafia family, there was a whole family that was represented. And so it was a very uh, exciting time. And then I was introduced, and I saw De Niro and Scorsese, of course, and and then I, later on, I got introduced to Italian films and Japanese films and French films, you know, far in college. Really. Yeah. It was really when I was Sunni, in college. You went to SUNY Pulse. SUNY New Pulse. And it's really there. And to my friend, Michael Badalucco, who was a few years older than me, introducing me to a lot of different uh, kinds of European cinema, and which I fell in love with uh, because I saw all these cultures that, uh, that I could relate to also. You know, in, and in, you were in doing theater way. in high school before SUNY? I did some theater. I did. I used to do impressions uh, because that was like, you know, I used to watch uh, the Million Dollar Movie and uh, Channel 5, all of Warner Brother films they had on. And so I grew up watching a lot of films from 30s, 40s, uh, 50s. And, you know, there wasn't as many films when I was a kid in the 60s, it wasn't a great time. It was the 70s where there was that kind of explosion. So a lot of those older actors who were still, some of them, a lot of them were still alive. Uh, they were big influence on Edward G. Robinson or James Cagney, Betty Davis, Barbara Stanwyck, uh, Burton Lancaster, Kirk Douglas, uh, you know, the late, you know, uh, uh, you know loved, you know, uh, Ann Sheridan. There was a lot of, uh, Ida Lupino, a lot of actresses in those days that had, you know, terrific, you know, uh, roles in movies. And so I didn't really, you know, I didn't differentiate between a man's film and a, and a woman's film. I was just, you know, I would watch things with my mother and things with my father. But both of them were huge movie lovers because they grew up during, you know, that's what people did. They went to the movies. Of course, yeah. So their relationship to those people was very, very, uh, not like a, it was very specific. And I mean, I know, I know people are fans now, but it's more maybe about celebrity, but they had really emotional attachments to these people. Yeah. And, uh, you know, they would watch it and they would be really emotional, you know, when they watched certain things. Uh, and, uh, you know, like, you know, when we watched Casablanca, you know, my mother would get up and, sing the French national anthem, you know what I mean? And, and your mother was a singer, right? Yeah, my mother was a singer, but she like, you know, uh, and you know, of course, my father had all kinds of, he loved it, but he was also, you know, critical of the French, and, you know, he was critical of everybody, but, uh, you know, but the movies were like a, a point of discussion. Uh, of the, in, the and ha- also, in the household. Yeah, and then you would watch like Million Dollar Movie, which Scorsese has talked about, it was like the first uh, VCR, because you'd watch the same movie, it was on five, five uh, times in a row, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, every night, same film. So you could study it. I mean, there were films that I know, like the 
Like I could listen to King Kong. I can tell you exactly where you are in King Kong. Oh my God. I mean, I know like, I can just tell you just from the music what's going on. I must have seen it. You just you saw know, it over and over yeah, again. My yeah. brother, my my older brother Ralph, he, his film was The Hunchback of Notre Dame you know, <laughs> with Charles Lawton, and uh, it's a pretty good one. Uh, and uh, I, I I think I really was a big, you know, a, a Cagney guy, you know, and Bogart. I mean, I loved, you know, I never knew anyone in the movie business. There was a a man who was a prop man who worked a carpenter, not a prop man. He worked across the street. He lived across the street from us when we moved from Hollis. Uh, uh, to Rosedale, uh, and in Rosedale, you know, in Hollis, you know, we lived in a small little uh, garden apartment. We all slept in the same room, all, all four of us. And then we moved, and my brother, my older brother, and I had a bedroom, and then my younger brother was born. Got it. But we all slept in the same, but same were, bedroom. Were, was your was your when you were launching yourself into becoming an actor? Was your was were your mom and dad like? Were they excited? Were they supportive? Were they were they questioning what was going on? How, how well, did that work I went out? to college. You know, they didn't know what I was going to study. They saw me perform a little bit in high school, and they thought I had uh, some talent. But my father wanted me to be a doctor, you know, lawyer, professional man. I was a pretty good student. I sloughed off a little bit towards the end of high school. Uh, but then when he saw me in things, he was really, you know, he he liked what I did and stuff. But my mother just said, you know, her brothers are musicians. She said, just do what you want to do. And uh, they knew I was a hard worker and I was doing pretty well there. But they were, you know, they were concerned. How, how are you going to make a living? Right. And, you know, uh, the truth of the matter is any kind of uh, person uh, who was a minority or a person of color or whatever, you didn't see them represented a lot in movies. You, you just didn't. You know, there was a few people that were so a couple of black actors. There were some ethnic actors, you know, like Anthony Quinn or something, but you didn't really see a lot of that, you know, until in the seventies, a lot of stuff happened, you know, people were, all kinds of movies were being made. And, uh, so movies was far away from me. It wasn't until I went to, to see people perform in the theater that I thought, well, maybe I could do, you know, what they do, you know. Uh, well, that's uh, a good transition because there was a guy that I, I didn't know about, Joe Paparone. Joe Paparone from, yeah, yeah. And he was from New Paltz, right? Yeah, he's from, still, he was at he's still a friend. He was at yeah. SUNY, he's still, he's still a friend. A good friend, a good friend of mine. And, and how did that, so you worked with him as your, your acting teacher, right? No, he was, uh, he helped me. I, I got into, I couldn't get into NYU. I, I wasn't really polished enough to get into, and I didn't have the money to get into NYU, you know. We barely had... <laughs> You know, money to go to school. I had a little money that I scraped up, and I got grant, and uh, I got the basic BEOG and tuition assistant program, TAP, it was called. Uh, and I got in as a departmental admission because I was a, a late applicant. But he helped me get in, and I had a lot of good teachers there: Richard Bell, Joe Paparone, Beverly Brum, Frank Kratt, Dan Schwartz. All, this is all at SUNY. All Nepal's. SUNY New Paltz. And, and uh, uh, Richard Bell and Beverly Brum were more of my acting teachers. Uh, and I, you know, Beverly recently passed away and she actually went to Yale. That's one of the reasons I applied to go to Yale many years later. Uh, and she really was a big civilizing influence on me as far as really educating me. Uh, uh, she was this woman from Wisconsin, you would think from a very different background, but she was a great teacher. And, and Joe was very supportive 
Matter of fact, Joe Pepper said to me, the, the first production, major production there, I was 18, uh, was One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. And he looked at me, he said, you know, you should go out for that. And I, I said, yeah, well, you know, I, I had never read the book. So I, I, he said, read the book. Uh, so I started reading the book. He said, you should go out for the Indian. He said, you could play an Indian. Because Italians, you know, basically, they played Indians. <laughs> I mean, no, they did. A lot yeah, of them, the, you know, Anthony right. Quinn... That's was, true. Was sitting was sitting bull, and they died with their boots on. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, and I this is all this was all new for me. You know, I grew up in a, I grew up in a predominantly black neighborhood in Hollis. Then I moved to like a white Italian Irish neighborhood, and everyone thought that I was Puerto Rican, and there wasn't many Puerto Ricans, and they they used to harass me every you know. Then I got bussed out like to an all black junior high school. So I was always. I, I've kind of grown up like as the minority, you know, in many places. Right. And it's interesting when I went to high school it was kind of, it was a private school, but it was, it was, uh, I would say pretty integrated, like 60, 40 or something like that. And I've always felt like, you know, when I eventually wound up meeting Spike, for example, we're like three weeks apart. I was like, well, this has been going on my whole life. you know, like, you know, it was like, oh, here's someone we know each other somehow. Like, and he grew up with all Italians and I grew up with, you know, I grew up exact opposite of Spike. And it know? felt very familiar. Yeah. And we immediately, we're still very close friends and, uh, you know, he's very, I very, you know, I value my relationship with him uh, as a friend first, first of all. Uh, but, you know, so when I went to school, I wasn't that slick or educated, but, you know, there were people that I was inspired by. Like when I saw some Bob Fosse shows and I saw Ben Vereen for the first time live, I, I was like, wow, look at this guy. Look what he could do, you know? And that was like, he kind of blew my mind. Oh, is that sort of the, the idea of the and triple Pippin, threat? Yeah, yeah and, and uh, Jesus Christ Superstar. And uh, so when I went there, I didn't know I was going to go in musicals. I like dance and I, I'd done some dancing and stuff. But anyway, I did audition for Cuckoo's Nest to make a the roundabout story and I got cast as Chief Bromden and I guess I did a good job uh, but so I played an Indian you know I mean I've played so many things uh, uh, now I guess you know people are very uh, they say well you you know you have to be careful about what kind of role you play but well, recently I did uh, Discovering Your Roots with uh, Dr. Henry Louis Gates and I found out not to my surprise how mixed I am you know what I mean I'm really mixed uh, you know my my DNA, but oh, you I, did. Oh, you did. Oh, yeah, the test. I did. Well, did the test. I did a test from Twenty Three and Me, but when I did, they really they have a whole army of people, uh, and I'm really mixed. And but I'm from Southern Italy, so I could be fifteen different things. So, right, and a I, lot and, of mixes, and, yeah. and I am, and, and I you am. are, and I and I was like laughing. I was thinking, well, Spike wanted to know, like, you know, how black are you? How black are you? <laughs> I said, not as black as you think, but I'm. I got some, you know, sub-Saharan. I got northern, <laughs> northern African sub-Saharan. Uh, but, you know, I'm from... So it's interesting, like, like Arabic music I listen to, and I'm like, wow, it just gets me. Like, you know, and... Uh, uh, so I'm, I'm interested in multicultural type of music. I always have been. And uh, so I've spent a lot of my life playing different groups and exploring different groups. You know, my... my, my my wife is Jewish, Russian Jewish, and so uh, and Cohen Brothers basically made me, uh, you know, an honorary Jew. Yeah, yeah. Which you know, I probably I have a little bit in me, but uh, but you know, it's 
you know, the, the, I think a lot of people who are people, either Hispanic people, either black, you know, or, you know, dark Italian American or whatever, or uh, Southern Italian American, you know, we've, you have to fight to get out of the ghetto. You know what I mean? Because you're, you're basically put in these groups. You know, you're like, this is your group. And I knew when I was an actor in college that that was not what I was interested in. I like to play a lot of different things. And I've done Shakespeare and I've done Chekhov and I've done Beckett and I've done Ibsen. And not that I'm, you know, Mr. Uh, Hoity-toity, but I love a lot of that, uh, those writers, you know, Pinter. Uh, and I like to do different things and even different things within my group or different groups. Uh, but I think I've really fought not to be, uh, you know, pigeonholed. Yeah, not that. to be pigeonholed to one type. No, yeah. and that's a big thing because in this country, you're not looked upon. You're looked upon, they put you in certain groups. Uh, when I go to Europe, I'm not looked upon that way. I'm looked upon as a just a regular, you know, guy, you know what I mean, who can play different class things. And uh, anyway, so I've had a, I've, Gone to Europe a lot and worked there, and so that's and you've that's you've acted in it. You've acted in, in I've Italian acted in language, Italian, Italian. I've language. acted with great Italian directors. I worked with uh, Francesco Rosi, Nani Moretti, Marco Pontecorvo, who's upcoming. He was a DP, and uh, yeah, we worked with him on Fading Sugar. Right, he's yeah. a, a terrific friend, and and uh, and there's other people I'd love to work with, but I there are all kinds of directors I'd I'd like to work with, and uh, including people I've worked with previously, which be wonderful to have uh, you know return engagement with some of them too right and and when you when when the the the, the uh, what i heard about i didn't realize that with danny and the deep blue sea you sort of helped in the development of that well i did the first reading of it at the i don't know if it was the first reading. i did the development at uh at uh, the eugene o'neill uh center lloyd richards was the head of it he was the head of the yale drama school which i went for graduate school. I was out of school for a couple of years. And uh, I did two plays, one by John Patrick Shanley and one by Keith Redine. They were both good plays. And I had lead roles in both. Uh, I think I got $100 for that. And there was, I was thrilled. And, uh, and then John liked what I did, even though he thought it was a little, maybe too, uh, it wasn't dark enough. But uh, he saw, I think, a lot of potential there. And then he kind of campaign for me to do a work, little big reading at the Circle Rep. Then I auditioned for it again. I had to audition for it again, and I got cast, and I did it at the Actors Theater of Louisville, and then we brought it to New York, and I did it at Circle in the Square with June Stein, and I got like a 3D World Award and an Obie Award, and I got a lot of people from movies who came to see it. This is after Yale now. After Yale. So when, right did, after you, Yale. when did you finish Yale? When did that? 83. 83. Yeah, I, I, I was in the same class with Charles Dutton and uh, Angela Bassett and a lot of other people. Uh, David Thornton, who's a good friend of mine. And uh, yeah, I, went, I, I was out of school from New Paltz and then I was a school teacher. I did a lot of different, I was a sub. And, uh, oh, so you, you had a break between yep. New Paltz yeah. and Yale. I taught at Rice High School in Harlem. So when did you finish New Paltz? I finished New Paltz in 79, but I actually got out 78, I got out early, and then I was a bartender, and, uh, and then I worked, I always worked construction with my dad uh, on and off, and then I wound up 
because I had an English minor being a substitute uh, teacher at Rice High School, then later uh, a school in Dykeman Heights called Our Lady Queen of Martyr, uh, where I was a fifth and sixth grade history teacher. So you did that. And, and, and then that, I applied to Yale, and right. I got in. And I got into NYU, too. And they both, I got a bigger scholarship to Yale, and NYU offered me a nice thing, too, and I went, I went to Yale. Wonderful. Um, and that was a big, you know, it was competitive. And, but I was, and I also had studied uh, with Robert X. Modica in New York. It was, he was a protege. Uh, he worked with Sandy Meisner for about a year and a half. So I'd studied, continued studying, and I'd doing showcases. And uh, so by the time I went to Yale, I had a lot of stuff under my belt, even though I was shy. And I think I was able to take advantage of being out of school and knowing that it was never going to be like this again. Because, you know, you did like, did like 30 plays in three years plus classes. And, you know, I did everything. New plays, cabarets, you know, uh, and classic plays. And, uh, and so uh, Lloyd, I think, saw that I was a hard worker and he was supportive of me. And uh, then, you know, once I met with John, John Patrick Shanley, that was, John and I worked together a few times. We've done plays. We did Five Corners together. And maybe someday right. we'll do something else together because yeah. I, I love John and, and uh, that would be fun to do something together again. Yeah, yeah. yeah he, I don't know what, but yeah, well, it's up to him. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, but I'm he, interested. Yeah, yeah, um, he, yeah. He was a writer come come director, really. Yeah, like yeah. Moonstruck, and John of course. Is, yeah. 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 yeah, John was like, I think he wanted me to be in Moonstruck too, but uh, Cher had her, had more say. So, uh, anyway, and it was good. So, so your sister, my I, my cousin, your, I'm sorry, your cousin Aida and your brother Nick are are both actors, right? And both busy in the business, and they they you know, yeah they they, they, they hustle around, hustle around, yeah. And yeah. then uh, and then I and I've I worked with both I, of them. I didn't know much about Richard Termini. Is this a, is this a cousin of yours or not? Or, or yeah, is that yeah, that? he did some music for me. He yes. did music for you. Yeah, He's yeah. done composed for you on your stuff. A little bit, yes, or, yes. In Mac, he did. He did a very good job in Mac. Mm-hmm. Cool. Uh, so I've worked with a lot of. I've worked with my. I work with my mother in Mac. I work with both my sons in a couple movies, uh, Amadeo and Diego. I've worked with my wife Catherine Borowitz many times. Uh, you know, so I've worked my whole family. They don't like listening to me, but yeah, I've worked with them all. So <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's not easy. Not easy when you tell your mother, you have to be here at seven o'clock in the morning. She said, no way. You know, <laughs> you know, I'm coming in. She said, when does Al Pacino come in? I said, I don't know, 930? He should go, that's when I'm coming in. <laughs> you know? uh, but uh, yeah, yeah. Diego was in Fading Gigolo. She was, right. He, was the, right. he played an a orthodox Hasidic uh, kid and uh, Amadeo was in Illuminata and uh, Romance and Cigarettes. And he was also in the, uh, uh, the Wes Anderson uh, uh, Royal Tenenbaums. Yeah. He played the young Luke Wilson. So how did your, how, how did your relationships roll out with Spike, Joel, uh, and all the other guys that you well, met along the time uh, that the Coen brothers found you or in Spike? No, found you uh, Spike saw Five Corners, John Patrick right. Shanley. So, and he really loved it. And then he, you know, sent me do the right thing. And, we talked, and uh, that was the beginning of a long, uh, it was 89. We met in 88, or maybe, we may have met in 80. Uh, we'll do maybe, the right thing. Yeah, 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 we met in, yeah, yeah, we met, I think, in 88. 
uh, so, and he had seen that film and, you know, he asked me who I wanted to play. And I said, I want to play the, you know, the bad guy. So, uh, uh, or the racist guy. And, uh, that was a great experience. And Joel and Ethan knew me through Fran McDormand because I went to Yale with her. Oh, so okay. they would come see me in plays and different things. And, uh, you know, one of the plays led to the big Lebowski character. Uh, but they saw me in the Sicilian with Chimino and then they Chimino. saw five corners. And then they told me they were, you know, I used to hang out. We used to like, Kathy went to Yale also. So we would socialize with Joel and Fran more than Ethan at that time. And, uh, then they told me they were writing me a role and then they, they wrote Miller's Crossing and I was really, I really wanted to do a good job because I was like, wow, you know, they, they wrote, you know, they, they wrote this part for me. And, uh, uh, yeah. So that's how I met, you know, and then from there. Just uh, rolled know. out with Bart, yeah, yeah. Bart and Fink. And I mean, they wrote a couple parts for me. So, yeah. And so once again, they're, and I've worked with them. I work with Ethan on stage when I directed these three one acts for Broadway for one of his, one of Woody's. That was relatively Alan's. speaking? Yeah, and Elaine May. And uh, and then they were my executive producers and very uh, involved executive producers uh, on Romance and Cigarettes. And they really stuck by me because, you know, we lost our distributor because United Artists and MGM was bought by Sony and it was a whole... You know, it's what happens with mergers of film, and uh, they really—they just were, you know, great friends and great supporters. And uh, you know, I, basically, I would just—if they need me to do anything, I would—I would do it. You know, right? I mean, course, that's how yeah. it goes when you—you know—you don't have that many long-term relations. I mean, I do have long-term relationships, but when you get a return engagement with people, you kind of know each other, and you know that they actually are in your corner and you could do something. You could, you could try new things sometimes. That doesn't mean it always works, but, uh, many people I would have loved to have like Francesco Rosie or Robert Redford, uh, Alison Anders, a terrific director, Tom DeCillo, a lot of people I've worked with who are not famous, famous people who terrific filmmakers. Uh, well, quiz show is a, you know, a uh, wonderful, you know, project. Uh, yeah. So you don't always get a chance to do that again, again, but it's helpful because the first time you work with someone, it's trial and error, trial and error, you know, and you don't know until the, until you see how they edited you. <laughs> yeah. Well, you, you either enhanced yeah. your performance or, or destroyed it. <laughs> yeah. And a lot of actors feel that way. You go, Oh my God, that's, I wasn't doing that. And so it's, uh, it's a weird, you know, on stage, you, you are the, you're in control more. So, yeah. But you have to do it eight times a week. So <laughs> that's a big deal. That is yeah. a big deal. Um, you, you decided in the, in, in the nineties to get involved in directing and you directed Mac. I didn't decide. But you, you, I didn't decide to you do didn't, that. You decide to do Mac? No. Well, everyone I thought about doing it, I did it as a play and I was always telling the directors basically what to do and stuff like that. And then, you know, Joel and Ethan weren't going to do it. Spike wasn't going to do it. Scorsese wasn't going to do it. I, I showed the script to all oh, these people. so you people. showed it to them yeah, before. Yeah, and they oh, okay. all saw them. And, and then I started looking for directors and then I realized one day, like, you know, I should just try to do this myself. And I met, uh, my agent was surprised. And then uh, I spoke to, I had a meeting with Nancy Tenenbaum, 
and Nancy had done sex lies and videotape. And she said, you know, you should do it. Uh, I sort of convinced her. And then she got me money. It was from the Ha channel to shoot four scenes to show that the film, even though it was a drama, had a lot of comedy in it, too. It was like human comedy, like Chekhovian comedy. Like in Scorsese's movies or Spike's movies, Coen Brothers' movies, other, you know. And so uh, Larry Estes, who, who, who ran uh, TriStar Columbia Home Video, he produced all these independent films, One False Move, Sex, Lies, and Videotape, on and on and on. Uh, and he said, okay, I'll, I'll do it. And I think we were one of their biggest budgets. It was over two, over two million. And, uh, and I got to make Mac and, uh, you know, won the camera door at Cannes and uh, some other... Uh, uh, I got, you know, it didn't do fantastically in the, the distribution here, but it was very well uh, critically received, received all over, you know, and, uh, you know, I got a lot of support in Europe for it. And a lot of people wanted to remake my next film. And I think, I still think, I mean, even though I, I wouldn't do it the same now, I, I think it's a strong movie. I think it's a really strong movie. It's a very raw movie, but it's a powerful movie. And, uh, you know, you don't make movies about uh, working class people. Right. In, in, in any background. They're just not made. They're made about, you know, stereotypes, gangsters, but not people who are fighting tooth and nail to, to leave their little thumbprint, you know, on the world. And like the building line, there's a million fantastic stories from, from the Brooklyn Bridge on, you know what I mean? And they never do it. They do the Titanic. And, you know and I mean? Mac- Titanic's been done how many times? Five times, six times. Brooklyn Bridge. Ken Burns made a documentary, and there was a book, a wonderful book, you know, on it, uh, which I love. But uh, you know, so that was a big thing when I did it. I kind of did it because it was something my father had passed away at a young age, and I. I but there was something I was. I grew up in that world, and I thought this is. These are really large. Uh, people they're actually in there making something and you know that will last a long time uh and that has had a big influence my mother made dresses my father made houses on me so uh you know i could tell 10 stories about that you know and there's lots of stories but people you know you, you really you can be ghettoized and i'm very proud of that film that we weren't that we that i fought to, to make it and it's something really uh you know it's still a beautiful looking film it was shot on film we had 43 days to shoot it you know and which i is, shot with which all is amazing i had all these actors that nobody knew the only people people knew were ellen barkin and john amos that was it but then you know carl copper and michael Badaluco and, and kathy borowitz they were the real leads of the film besides me uh my brother nicholas was in it and a lot of people Ola Krupa, Richard Spohr. It was a, a real, you know, it's a passionate movie when you see it. You're, you're holy mackerel. And it was a well-supported film at a, as an independent film. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, yeah, was, it was the budget. Samuel Goldwyn bought it. Uh, I, 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 I could have been the second film from October Films, from Bingham Ray and Jeff Lipsky, and I, I kind of was leaning towards them, but I got outvoted to go to Samuel Goldwyn. Uh, but I always would have loved to have worked with Bingham. And with Bingham, Bingham yeah. helped me a lot 
on romance and cigarettes, not on Illuminata. He was with October then. They wanted to buy Illuminata, but we didn't want to sell it before Cannes or whatever. But I, and then Bingham gave me the green light for United Artists, uh, and then he was fired. Uh, at UA. <laughs> at UA. Bingham was a wild guy, but I love Bingham. And I really, really to this day miss Bingham yeah. because he bet on people, not just on the project. And now, doesn't matter who you are, a lot of times people don't want to get in a room with you. They don't want to look you in the eye and say, well, I'm going to bet on you, Charlie. You know, I'm going to bet. I like your story. I don't get it completely. You know, I don't know if I get all of it, but I believe what you're saying. You know what I mean? And uh, Bingham was one of those guys, and he was the opposite of, like, Harvey, I think, in many oh, ways. Yeah. He yeah. was his antithesis. He was a really loving person, and he was wild in his, you know, in his business dealings with, you know, the people above him, but uh, he's really missed. You know? And I think, no, I, you know, I the remember, whole... I remember him well. Yeah, I, yeah. I remember him yeah. seeing him at Sundance and he uh, and knowing him over the years yeah. in his role and working Lincoln with Lincoln Center, Jack. he yeah. wound up at, I mean, I just, even when he w wasn't working, I, you know, have meals with him sometimes and he had his difficulties and, uh, but he was a, a loving person. And uh, he was at Sidney Kimmel at the end of his life. Yeah, he was right at the very end. Yeah, yeah that's where he ended. Yeah, yeah. which is so, which, uh, which is an interesting connection yeah. for you because you've worked yeah. with Panati, with yeah. John. Yeah, so it's it's a small world, and and you know sometimes there's a lot of people who've said no to you, and that you and you can't turn around and say, well, I'll never talk to that person again because there's only about eight of them. You know what I mean, or whatever. But I've fantasized in the past about well, what would I be like if I owned a theater. Or if I was a distributor, I, I don't want to do that necessarily full time, but I do think there's a lot of things that are missed. And also now it's, there's so many different ways to see a movie. So, you know, I wound up, I wind up going to like film forum or IFC or, uh, uh, now there's the Nighthawk, you know, in my neighborhood or bam, you know, and it's, uh, I, I I wish there were more independent theaters. Long lines for kinds of films. Like I just was reading about Olivia Wilde's film uh, that came out and it's got great reviews, but people who aren't you know going maybe right away. But sometimes a film takes a while to to get a word of mouth to get it going, and it's it's not instantaneously you know. And I remember films that would play for like a year in my neighborhood, and then I would go see it, and I would go. Wow, why didn't I go last year to see it? You know, and uh, so it's now they disappear. Well, I think those big, giant tentpole movies ate up the audience because when I was a young man, young person, young kid, you know, I would see popcorn movies, Night of the Living Dead, and then I would go see a Sidney Lumet film. So there was no difference for me, but I feel like they've made the it's like more of a juvenile audience and i think video games has really influenced movies just like saturday night live when it came on the kind of ironic you know tongue-in-cheek they influenced a lot of the comedies that were made you know with chevy chase and belushi and Aykroyd, bill murray the sarcasm yeah the sarcasm and stuff like that people were more distant from them you know it wasn't like guys who were in the middle of it like Kirk Douglas or somebody, you know what I mean? <laughs> or uh, so now I think you look at it, everything looks like a video game to me. 
uh, it's so fast and uh, whatever. And I, 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 growing up, I loved comic books. I used to read comic books all the time. And I like a lot of, a certain amount of comic book movies, but when I see that that's what everything sort of has become, then what you are interested in, you know, basically television has taken over. And, uh, and now it's hard to find what's on television because there's... There's so much of it. What, I mean, you know, I don't know. If, do you watch Showtime? Do you watch HBO? Do you watch Hulu? Do you watch Amazon? You know, do you watch Netflix? It's, it's exhausting. You're exhausted. Just, just, just finding, just, just, just finding, just finding it. You need someone to say, "Man, this is great. You got to see this." Like, I would say, if you gonna, if I was gonna promote something, I'd say, "Listen, I saw the Amazing Grace documentary that my friend Jimmy Kurosawa was uh, very much responsible for with Aretha Franklin." I said, "If you want to go see a film about music, see that movie. That will blow your mind. That's like one of the greatest things you'll ever see. Like that will blow your mind." When I saw it, I was like going to church or synagogue or mosque or whatever it is. I saw that film forum, man, and I was like, people were like packed. And I was like, this is how I want to see something, man. This is what I want to see. I want to be with a group of people occasionally to do that. But to be in a I, cinema, to be in a cinema, not at home. Yeah. But now that's, I want to go see that again and take my wife. It's been playing now at BAM. So I'm glad. So I hope it's doing, it seems like it's, it's playing. But that's just an amazing uh, piece of work. And I think documentaries are, are filling, the, you know, lots of people seeing documentaries. It's which, happening which, now, which right? Which is fantastic. I love, uh, but I do think serious films or films with black humor, you know, and, and films. I mean, this film that Olivia did, uh, Booksmart, you know, it's about young kids. So maybe all the young kids haven't got it to see it right away. You know what I mean? Maybe the kids like who are 30. But, you know, films need, I haven't seen it. I'm going to. Uh, but I can't go the first weekend. Can't do it. You know, my son's in high school. My, you know, it's, I got family things. You, you try. You know right. what I mean? So it's great, like, to see Spike reemerge with Black Klansman. Fantastic. It's just, you know, did my heart good. Because I know, man, he's, he's also been in the desert, too. And because... You know, now people, you know, patting him on the back and stuff like that. But a lot of times people say, oh, well, you know, people said a lot of things about him, like, you know, because he's been outspoken and he's been a real advocate uh, in, in a way that, you know, actually is justified. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. But uh, it's just good to see that he was able to get an audience, you know, with his TV show, with his movie. and. Uh, because it's hard. It's hard to have a longevity in America. Because people, people don't think like, oh, well, this guy's a master. So Charlie should still keep making movies. Maybe we're not going to give him the 15 million that we gave him before, but we'll give him something, you know. But mm, doesn't work that way here. It's like, you know, people look at you, young people, sometimes that they have no track record, and you're like, well, this is what's going on now. You got to be in the moment, but. You can be in the moment, but you can also be in the moment through your experience because you may have something to add to the moment or help articulate the moment because the moment is not just the moment. The moment comes from a long time ago that has gotten us here and is repeating itself in different ways just through, you know, now we have technology, you know what I mean? So 
you know, there's a lot to understand. You know, you take any topic, abortion, you know, uh, read about it and study it, study the history of it. It's the same thing that's going on now that was happening a long time ago. Right. And people don't know that abortion was legal in this country until the, you know, 1860s, you know, and until women could, you know, until there was quickening, until the baby kicked, you know, and, and who were the first people who were against that? It was the medical profession. They wanted to, you know, push the midwives out. And there's a, there's a wonderful book about it called When Abortion, when abortion Was a Crime, you know. Uh, but it tells you everything that you need to know. Right. Everything. There are so many complex issues, and that's what gets lost in of the moment. There's nuance. And to understand things, you, understand, you have to understand the minutia. Yeah, well, right now in Alabama, of course, we're yeah, but there's the, there's, the, there's yeah. yeah, so in a, right, in a, so in people a, in, a, in a political way, yeah, yeah. So it's but it's it's you know people think it's all a religious thing. It's not necessarily. So on the topic, actually, of uh, of of the changes that are going on, right? And all that. I mean, you have for for you um, a life with a tremendous footprint of theatrical years and theatrical presentation health. Yeah. And now with then, you know, as the world changed to, right. and streaming started to take over. And as you described, there are so many choices you can't even find content anymore. Right. It's so hard to find stuff that gets curated and, and people get to see what they right. want to see. Um, you're also uh, a, a producer and, and, and originating and then making your own decisions about what to be in. How do you feel right now about, you just sort of described how the business has changed. I don't know. Yeah. I, I feel like I'm, you know, I've worked at HBO. I did The Night Of. I just did uh, uh, In the Name of the Rose, which is now on Sundance, which was a big production. And that was wonderful to work on. And I'm doing The Plot Against America for HBO of, based on Philip Roth's book. So I know with The Night Of, it reached a lot of people. And it really was like a movie. And uh, I'd love to do part two of that. But then there's movies like Gloria Bell I did, which got amazing reviews. And, you know, maybe they'll bring it back at the end of the year or whatever. But it's hard to find a, an audience for a film to just, I know people who love the movie, but it has to stay in, a, in cinemas for a while or even one cinema for a long time to, to grow into its potential. It's a different world uh, to stay viable. You know, you got to go to the gym. You got to understand that the rejection is part of it. I think as you get older, it's harder. To, you know, you go, oh, you know, I'm going to get beaten up. I've always liked to do things that uh, uh, make an audience think or maybe even feel uncomfortable. And I think things that are shocking sometimes or surprising or showing people that you would go, wow, I don't really like this person, but I can't take my eyes off of them. Uh, sometimes you can learn about that. Not that, that you empathize or sympathize, but it, it gives you something to think about and, and, and takes you out of your comfort zone. And I think those kind of things I've always loved in movies that kind of shocked me in a good way, in a way that made me think about things even if I didn't 
agree with the point of view of the filmmaker or whatever. And I love those things, those kind of things. When you see it, I think you, it's, in, it's inspiring when you, when you see that. I saw that show Fleabag, uh, I guess I haven't seen the first season. So to say, and, uh, the woman who, who writes killing Eve. And I thought, wow, that's very personal. And I really, really enjoyed that. So, uh, she's a young person, but she's very talented. And, uh, so I, I, I'm glad a lot of people are getting a chance to express themselves, but I, I think there's, there's room for people of, of different ages in there, hopefully. Uh, adult movies. Yeah, adult movies. And uh, you think when you look back at Paul Mazursky, John Cassavetes. Yeah, well, I'm a John Cassavetes poem. I mean, I'm, that's, you know, I love those things. I mean, I, I, I recently saw A Woman Under the Influence, and I was like, that's a radical movie for right now. That movie is a love story about crippled love and how people love and they are unable to love, you know, through mental illness, through masculine brutality, you know, or being obtuse, you know. Uh, but it's full of, it just made me feel like, oh, yeah, I know this. I've seen this, you know. And uh, these movies were radical. These movies were radical. These movies were full of humanity. You know, and he influenced so many people. And some of his movies did well, some didn't, you know. But, you know, uh, that's the kind of thing that if I could feel. do that more, that's what I would want. That's what I want to do. I, I would like to someone to say, you know, let's go somewhere 12 weeks, 14 weeks. It's short, you know, it's going to be only a smaller crew, whatever. That still inspires me. I don't see the density of it is like a novel and the contradiction of it. That's what I like. I like things that aren't, I mean, if you look at the movie shadows, that's a pretty hip movie, man. I mean, about race in 1960, that's like considered one of the first independent movies. And there's stuff in that movie that you go, holy mackerels. Like this is, the the complexity of someone you know maybe passing someone not passing and just it's really uh you know that, that kind of stuff I, I really love and i mean listen i love to be entertained and with a great comedy too you know i'm not the only one way but uh i do think it's i i, I think movies are not in the uh the the water cooler conversation I don't hear people talking about, oh, my, Moonlight, a little bit, a little bit, a little bit. I thought people were talking about that, it seemed. But mm, I don't hear, you know, I used to hear these heated discussions, you know, about, you know, Prince of the City, you know. Uh, it's last, great, let, great you know, Sydney Lumet films. Yeah, yeah. you know, uh, just, you know, back and forth, you know, uh, I, I, you know, I mean, if you look like a movie like Midnight Cowboy, you know, it's like, you know, it's it's pretty challenging. Interestingly enough, now Network is on Broadway, which I haven't seen. Yeah, I'm not interested. I'm, I'm, it seems like like that that's something that, that didn't need to be done. In a sense, I, I right? don't know. I don't. That's a yeah. whole other thing. I mean, that's that was a, a, I don't know. That was a great film. Yeah, I mean, I'm a big Sydney fan. I love The Verdict. You know, I love uh, A Dog Day, Serpico, you know, so many of his movies. He. He really was a, a great storyteller, and the acting in his movies—you could tell everybody has brought their game and has rehearsed for two weeks before, because Sydney's not going to give them too many opportunities. 
And like Spike and I, we talk about this all the time. You watch it and you're like, that's like really, you know, and sometimes the acting is really theatrical, but it's completely organic. You know, I mean, you watch Dog Day again and you're like, and with a verdict and you're like, wow, people are superb, superb, superb. And these are people who have a lot of skill. You know, it's, I, I, I do think, you know, actors who've trained and come from the theater or whatever, or circus or vaudeville or whatever, you know, they they bring a different thing to it. They have to be on point, like a live theater thing, yeah, right? They, they, yeah. you know, it's like the body. You, you you see the whole body. You know what I mean? And, uh, you know, it's it's a great thing when you do it. And there's a lot of wonderfully talented actors now. But, you know, if you watch movies, it's it's predicated on, on, on editing. Of course, yeah. You don't know how people move that much. There is a few actors. Denzel is one of them. He, you, you, you know, is like he's got a real physicality when he does things. Matt Damon, Kate Blanchett, you know, uh, you feel the whole, the whole body working. The full, you know, the performance of their full the, body. Yeah, but the full body, you, you feel it, and I, that I always think is kind of like uh, you know, Christian Bale. I put in there too. You know, he's in there. You know, uh, uh, I like that. I see that. Not just guys being in shape or gals being in shape, but just the whole, the whole approach. You know? Right. And, and you had the chance to work with also with, uh, not only as an actor, but as a director with Woody. Uh, and then you worked with Tony Scott and, and, and even Michael Bay on a few projects. I've worked with, I've worked with, with all everybody. these guys, with everybody. Yeah. And I'm exhausted. And <laughs> you're exhausted. I love it. <laughs> Michael Bay. And when you Mike, say Michael Bay, I'm like, oh my, I got to rest. <laughs> he never stops moving, Michael. Bay. And Michael Cimino once in the society. I worked with him yes, yeah. for a long time. And Billy Friedkin. And Friedkin, yeah. Friedkin, Cimino, Ron Howard. Uh, I only worked with Ron once. He's a lovely man. But uh, uh, I would have liked to work with Ron. You know, maybe I will work with him again. But I, I think he's a good director. You know, and he's had a big. Uh, range of interest marty uh, a little bit uh but uh you know uh steve zalian i think i've had a very close relationship with on the night of uh very close with steve and, and richard price who was the other you know writer so uh i was really uh you know intimate <laughs> which is awesome yeah. yeah so for you like making films like uh like the one that you've got going now going places which is the last project um you're it year to year um and and uh film to film this is now what your fifth or sixth directing uh a that's title. my yeah because i did yeah. mac illuminata romance and cigarettes i did uh passione, passione. which is documentary yeah. uh, musical then i did fading gigolo i done a Couple shorts, now and this would be my sixth film, so six, I, yeah. six feature film. Yeah. yeah, I think some people maybe want to retitle the movie, you know, the you know the Jesus rolls again or the Jesus rolls or whatever. But they can retitle it if they want to. I, you know, it's fine with me as long as they release the movie. So. And that's your connection with 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 John Panati, which has also been yeah. John, a, I worked in Illuminata, a, yeah, uh, Romance and Cigarettes, uh, and and this one. And John is a, a dear friend, and he's a great guy, and. 
we've been through a lot of ups and downs together and uh you know it means a lot when uh you know when you have relationships over right. a period of time Sidney Kimmel is a, a, a wonderful gentleman and a, a real supporter and so you know it, it, in the it's, same way that you talked about Bingham having your back in a yeah, sense yeah. right it's it's a there's a there's a hard business because sometimes people you know you take the money and then something works out sometimes you make a good film and you know you, you get even get good reviews and then nobody sees it and doesn't make its money you know loses a lot you know money and it's a crapshoot and it it's sometimes i need to step away to just rest a little bit and just go but you know okay let me take stock you know what do i want to do you know what i mean or just heal up a little bit and prepare for another charge up the hill you know but uh right i have lots of friends they like well i don't want to i don't want to do that they're like i'm just going to do this you know there's a part of me that thinks maybe i should have you know if i could have i would have just been an actor and uh but i was interested in other things so i don't regret all those movies i made uh, I, I don't think i ever made a bad movie i, I i'm not saying i made i made a gr- like like a, a masterpiece but i think every movie i have made has real you know quality in there and i can stand behind and there's a lot of you know perception and and love and humor and contradiction and uh and i think if i got a chance to work more i you know maybe i could get to that one that's perfect or you know closer to just having everything work perfectly uh but it's been hard when I first made my first movie, people asked me to direct a lot from the studios, and I didn't want to because I was like, oh, you I'm were not asked to direct things yeah. that you didn't want to, that you, were, that you decided yeah, not to do. Yeah, well, they weren't my thing. So, uh, so you know, I, I come from downtown theater, and there's a part of me that's still a downtown theater guy in my approach to making movies, you know. And I remember Peter Falk and Ben Gazzara and Jennifer Owens had seen, you know, Mac and they all were big fans of it. And I was like, wow, I wasn't trying to make a John Cassavetes movie. I was trying to make a movie based on my experience and my, you know, and uh, I worked with Peter for years on uh, adaptation of John Fonte's uh, uh, My Dog Stupid, which I wanted to do, which we never did. Uh, it would have been great. So I don't know, maybe someday I'll look at that again. but. You know, a lot of things I'm interested, they're, uh, they skirt, <laughs> you know, uh, the the polite uh, line that is drawn in the sand. And uh, I don't think it's good for people to be inhibited to explore complex situations, complex characters, whether it's a woman, a man, you know, whatever, together, because we learn from that. You know, we, 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 we learn from that because... Sometimes by uh, doing something that is uh, irreverent or, you know, I wouldn't say scandalous, but, but it's thought-provoking, you know, uh, is, can be really stimulating. You know, right. You, you, you're like, wow, okay. So that's part of life, huh? You know? Uh, but going into all of this now and then back to the idea of how hard it is and what it, and, and you talk about loving to go to the cinema, which I, of course, right. I'm a big fan. I mean, I used to, my first job getting out of college was I, I worked as a projectionist in a repertory cinema with carbon arc projectors and oh my God. showing old movies, you know? Right. 
And, and I have a real love for exhibition and, and, and showing films in a public space and not having films isolated to home, home right. viewing and the right. social experience. And it was interesting in conversations that I've had with so many people from so many parts of the business about the arc of the business that your career has been through from the, the, the heyday of the 80s and the 90s of theatrical film being made and even independent film being made that would not be made the same way today. Right. Because, you know, you, you, right now you'd, you'd have an independent film that might be only a Netflix film, not a theatrical right. release. Right. Right. And yet your projects, all of your films have had a theatrical life. Uh, uh, yes, but sometimes I've had to, you know, help that a lot. You know, to make that happen. I mean, right. yes, with Romance and Cigarettes, I helped distribute it. You helped distribute it, okay. I did. I, I learned a lot about size of ads. <laughs> you get great reviews, how long you can stay in a city, you know. Uh, yeah, because I was stuck in this merger. Oh, because that, that you were caught in the crossfire uh, between distribution. A terrible merger, yeah. Right. I had, you know, we had tested the film. We, we had prepared posters, books, everything. And then everybody was gone in two weeks. But what is your sense of anything that you're ma you've made and anything that you'll make going forward with the idea that a, that a Netflix or that a streaming company would, although it's not necessary because that, well, that, that there would be no theatrical or simultaneous theatrical day and date. Well, and, listen, you can, you can get theatrical and then nobody goes to see it. So if you get a bigger audience, I understand. I would prefer to see it in a movie theater Yes, and you would hope that you would have a chance to at least have a portion of that. But if that's the only way you can work and do it, then you're going to have to you know, play by the rules unless you're one of the top 10 directors or big money makers. You know? uh, uh, and I think when you're dealing with subject matter, that may be, I, I, I keep forgetting the word, not not scandalous, but, uh, you know, thought, you know, controversial, controversial or whatever, or, you know, not being inhibited so much, you know, nowadays, you know, you, you, you know, sometimes you, one person touches the other person in the story, a fictional story and they say, Oh, well, that was the person was forcing themselves. And I was like, wait a second, this is a fictional story. You know what I mean? It's like, uh, and maybe that's part of it. You know what I mean? Uh, but it may be funny or it may not be funny. You know what I mean? So uh, I think the thing is to keep working. And I think, you know, maybe, when people worked, yeah. like Caravaggio, he was in his studio. He made these paintings. He didn't make that many paintings. When he make 50 paintings and he had the same props over and over again. The guy was, you know, one of the greatest painters of his time and of all time. Uh, and then he was always in debt and he was always running and he was always, and he killed the guy and he was, so, you know, the guy went to play in a different place so he could, so he could work, you know, uh, the thing is to work. You know, a lot of these people were never, you know, they weren't that painters, especially, you know, they weren't that celebrated. So you, you want, I don't want to do something and nobody sees it, but just because more people see Transformers than Gloria Bell, that doesn't mean I think that's better than that. You know what I mean? I, I stick my hat with most of the kind of films I've made, but I don't look down on the other thing. But I think what you want to do is create a body of work. Yeah, well, well, 
you know, people have seen certain movies, they say, I really love that. That meant a lot to me. And sometimes 20 years later, and you're going, wow, that means something to me more than someone recognizing me who I don't care that they recognize, but that they, and if I made someone laugh, that's good too. That, that's a good thing too, you know? Uh, but you see the culture has gone down and that is reflected in the world we live in. Culture is always ahead of politics. And that's all I have to say. That is a direct reflection, whether you're liberal or conservative, you, you have helped lower the bottom you know, the line of things. Lowering the bar. You've lowered the bar. You've lowered the bar. And now you have the result of that bar that you have lowered. And so no one can say to me, you know, money, just because a movie made a lot of money does not make it a good movie. It doesn't. It, it, it's a popular movie for the moment. But you have to see how it lasts. You may see a movie that's a really good movie and you say, you know what? That's going to last. You can see Get Out. You can say, I could see it again. It's a good movie. You know, I bet you 10 years from now, it'll still be a good movie. You know what I mean? I are there films yeah. that you go back to that are from? Yes, all the time. But I just, I don't think that money in this country has become, it's replaced, I, I hate to say spirituality, but it's like God. Money is the God in this country. And that's why we're in the situation we're in. And I, 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 Know that in the deepest part of my uh, uh, my body, because I saw it happening. I mean, reality television helped create the reality television world we're in. It did because people believe who you're playing on that thing. The idea of creating fame from social media, creating fame from unscripted. Uh, uh, well, it wasn't from social media. That was a. Telev you know, television, reality, showing but, but unscripted people. television, though. Unscripted yeah. television, reality I mean, TV, reality I, TV. I can understand the appeal of it to a point, but I've always loved people who have intelligence, skill, grace. I mean, I could watch Burt Lancaster walk across a room, and I'm like, wow, you know? I could, you know, I, I, I work with Ossie Davis, you know? And he's like, guy was a powerhouse, like a powerhouse, man. Like, just, you just were like, wow. That's Ossie Davis, man. And you're like, you know, he, he went through all these different, and you were just in, in the presence of something. There's a, there's a whole body behind that person, you know, and, uh, and they were in a movie together too, uh, Scalp Hunters. Uh, so, you know, I, I like to look up to people. Right, say, wow, exactly. That's what, that's what I want to be when I grow up. And I still like to look up to people, and, but there are people from the past, obviously, they mean more to me probably in my mind, you know, uh, in my imagination, do you know what I mean? So, uh, then maybe current people do, but there's a lot of talented people out there, but I do think the bar is, it's just, there's a cacophony of noise and it's very hard. And I think I will use that movie Moonlight as a good example. I think the director was able to cut through in a very quiet way in a very quiet way of the humanity of those people. And, and it made you say, huh, wow, I never, I never saw that. And I'm very appreciative of that, you know, of, uh, 
I am. It doesn't need be- to be people screaming. Because maybe the the idea that when as technology changed, I mean, I, when I started out in the film business, we shot sixteen thirty five. Right. There were crews. You couldn't just not every everybody was not a filmmaker. And, and no, I, I, and you can the, be a filmmaker like in two yeah, seconds. In flat, two yeah. seconds, now everyone everybody's believes they're an artist. No, everybody's editing. You know, kids are editing. They make those things. They they change the special effects, but it was harder. So maybe because it was harder, people hone their point of view more. You know, now it's very much more self-conscious and it's, you know, people are commenting on comments, on comments, on comments. And it's a volume of content that can be made right. that's endless. Well, yeah. you know, that's the world that we're in and, uh, you know, that's, you know, uh, you know, uh, that's why people like to go to watch sports or something like that because it's like it plays in its real time. Then, then we have all these shows where everybody just talks about it, like, you know. I watch first take also, you know, <laughs> with, with Stephen A. You know, but he's, you know, he, I, I enjoy him, you know. Uh, but I do like to watch, like, I'm a big basketball fan. So uh, just because they're doing it for real. They're either missing or scoring for real. So same thing if you watch a live performance. Right, live performance, yeah, theater. So, yeah. Yeah. So course. it's, you know, it's, it's, uh, it is what it is. Every generation changed. I think things have changed a little faster now they've accelerated and the thing is not to be a grumpy old you know person man the thing is to say hey i dig you know donald glover he's a really interesting guy you know i i saw his that video he did i've seen his show a little bit i i don't, I don't watch it all the time but i could tell he's really talented i saw that video he did and i was like wow that's really that's really strong so you want to be in touch and supportive of young people too and you want to be part of that. At the same time, you want to be able to, uh, you know, throw in your little two cents. You know what I mean? And that's that's the challenge that people have. Um, that's what it is. You know. So it's it's a you know I, I can understand why some people just say you know what I had enough of this and walk away like the guy who did Sweet Smell of Success, uh, Alexander McKendrick. He was a great director, did all the Ealing comedies, and he just said, that, that's enough. And he taught. But, because uh, uh, it's, it's exhausting. <laughs> there's, there's a lot of gatekeepers. That's the problem. To get to an audience, there's a lot of gatekeepers. I may meet some of these gatekeepers in the Later. afterlife. <laughs> no, but I'm just saying, there ah. is, there's a lot of gatekeepers. And those people we we get a good review, bad review, people give you the money. You know, they're not people who can do it. They can't blow that horn. They can't hit that note on that trumpet. And uh, I'm using that as a metaphor, of course. But, you know, the people who can, can. And they know it. And all the people, they're only projecting and pontificating upon that or blocking that. So it's, there is something truthful when you see someone who's a real brilliant talent. I just so, was introduced to this woman, uh, Rhiannon Giddens. Uh, I don't know if you've ever heard of her. Uh, she's a great uh, singer and uh, banjo player. And she plays, oh, she had a Carolina Chocolate Drops. And then she's cut some of the albums. She has a new album, There Is No Other, with this guy, Francesco Torrizi. And she, He's fantastic too, but she's a fantastic talent. And just listening to her, 
you're like, wow. The the soul that comes through that woman, man. It's you're just in the presence of something rare. And I'm just like I would just, you know, I'd make a movie about it, her document in two seconds. Two seconds. I, I, I told her, I said, listen, you might want to make a the musical documentary, man. I'm there. I said, you are. She's a presence. Yeah, and she's on she understands the arc of history and how things were co-opted and uh it's just something so when i see people like that i'm like wow that's encouraging so you're still inspired by new talent oh, yeah, all the time yeah, especially musicians right especially musicians i i like to i like to support the uh, the musical world i do so i'm going to make another one of those i know i, I know i am something something uh, a film that's that that involves uh i like the uh, the, the multicultural traditions that you see you know with things that came from africa from sicily from the middle east like we did with passion yeah and then it winds up like down south you're like well how do all these sources get there you know and so uh that interests me right the cultural story behind it yeah exactly that's right well i think we uh i think we covered quite a lot okay all right thank you yeah this was was really awesome what a pleasure thank you for a good man charlie okay thank you we're not in poland we're not in Poland anymore. Okay, all right. You know, funny story at the end here, though. When I would go to festivals with Bingham Ray right. uh, over the years, periodically, I was a little bit heavier at that time, I'd be walking up Main Street in Park City and someone would grab me by the shoulder and they would say, Bingham? And I would turn around and I'd say, no, Charlie. And they used to think from behind because I was you, ashamed you, you, that I was Bingham. Yeah. Oh, that's, <laughs> mistaken for a good guy. Like for a good guy. Yeah, exactly. Okay. All right. <laughs> Thank you, man. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.